everybody. Welcome back to Comics School. I am so glad that you were able to join us. You took time out of your day uh, to hang out and talk about education and nerdy things and comics. And um, just means a lot that you that you took the time. I am super excited. Um, I'm also Mike Dando. I should also uh, introduce myself. My name is Mike Dando. I am an associate professor of English and education at St. Cloud State University in St. Cloud, Minnesota. I am the director of the Communication Arts and Literature Program and a professional nerd, which means I get paid to do nerdy stuff like talk about comics with our our guests today. And um, if you haven't gone back and you haven't listened to some of the previous episodes, we've got Eisner winners, we've got um, Education Research Award winners, and we've got um, the new hotness as well. So without any further ado, I would like to welcome my guest today, or I should say our guest today, Dr. Woo. Love the sound <laughs> of that, Dr. Alex Corbett. Um, hey, Mike. I, hey, how are you? Um, I first, uh, I've known Alex um, digitally for uh, for some time. Um, and then at AERA just recently, absolutely blown away um, by the work that he's doing. And I thought the people need the the the, the good people of comic the comic school <laughs> community. This is they need to get these this work. Um, Alex is um, your your doctorate is in re remind me your doctorate, your official title, your doctorate is in. Uh, curriculum instruction yes, yeah. sir. with a focus on literacy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and a focus on, uh, our conversation today, um, gaming, particularly, yes. um, which may not, you might not think of comics and D and D as going as, as being similar, but, um, as trans media studies will tell you, Oh, Oh, they do, uh, go to any comic book store and you will find, um, a D and D comic. You will find Critical Role comics. You will find Stranger Thing comics. You will find mm. Conan the Barbarian comics. So these are two great tastes that go together um, because they're all centered around this notion of literacy. But as is our custom, we are going to start with uh, Alex's origin story. So uh, Alex, talk us through a little bit about um, how you came to to the the part the point where you're researching uh, comics, uh, you're researching D&D, &D, I should say. Um, tell us a little bit about your origin story, how you got involved with gaming, with uh, with the nerd, that nerd life. The nerdery, yeah. Correct. Um, so I think, uh, well, I've always been a gamer um, ever since I was a kid. And um, we would do tabletop role-playing games and computer games and gaming on consoles. Um, and then, and those types of stories we were telling were super rich um, and the worlds we were building and all of that kind of thing. Um, and in a lot of ways, the stories we were collaborative, and then it was also a very collaborative process, right? In the ways that school doesn't always privilege um, or make space for collaborative storytelling. So, um, some of the best kind of stories I read and participated in in my youth were not in school-based settings, but they were, mm -hmm. you know, on Saturday afternoons with my friends and things like this. Um, and then as I became a teacher, I taught seventh grade ELA uh, in the Bronx for five years. Um, I tried to gamify my classroom and add like 
you know, you level up on into this new, you know, um, and you get different types of powers in the classroom. You can take out two books out of the library at a time and things like this. But in a lot of ways, gamification doesn't change the quote unquote game of schooling. Ooh, say that one more time. <laughs> All right, pause. People listening, pause, get your pens, get your pencils out. Say that again, because that's a gem. Gamification doesn't change the quote unquote game of schooling. Um, uh, and and it, sometimes it really feels like it does, right? If you add, like, there were different um, levels that my students could reach throughout the school year and things like this. But at the end of the day, it was just uh, a veneer to mask the fact that we were just doing traditional schooling, um, doing traditional argumentative writing, claim, reason, evidence, warrant, that type of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It wasn't until I went to back to grad school at Boston College to pursue doctoral study that I began rethinking my own pedagogy and saying, hmm, to, le- to learn more about storytelling and narrative yes. writing and co-authorship, I need to uh, revisit the spaces that I spent time in as a kid. I need to go back to these game, these gaming spaces um, fall in love again with play and gaming um, and understand the ways that it disrupts and reimagines what learning and, and composing can be. Um, And so that was the impetus for, and it took me a while, right? Um, At first I was like, I need to do a very school-based dissertation project, but my advisor, John Wargo, at the time, up, we buddy? were yeah. <laughs> shout out to if you're Dr. out there, Wargo. friend of the pod. Yes, yes. Right. Um, in my first year of doctoral study, he invited me to participate in a research project he was doing on escape rooms, um, nice. and I was like, oh, yeah, I couldn't even, I didn't even think this qualified or counted as research mm. or um, education based kind of inquiry, um, right. and that kind of that, and then reading a lot of um, Dr. Antero Garcia's work on role-playing in Dungeons and Dragons kind of gave me this permission um, to pursue my nerdy interests and my kind of most authentic educator and researcher self. Um, So, and then the other part is I think that when we're looking for a site to do research or to learn more about learning, it can sometimes feel very inauthentic and kind of this like kind of colonizing, like finding this yes. research context. Yes. Um, so it didn't start out that way. I was interested in LARPing and I found a nearby kind of LARPing nonprofit organization. And I spent yep. the first two years just hanging out and being kind of uh, helping out with the staff and helping run programs just because it was fun and yeah. in the midst of reading a lot of theory and 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 battling um what is it imposter syndrome like okay. i felt grounded being back with kids and with you know nerds and people who really loved to play yeah. so yeah. it started off there and then it 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 eventually ballooned into a dissertation project two, two and a half years later, as, but as, as it does, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it turns in and it's funny because those things turn it, as you said, like, well, you spent two years and then it, and then it turns into a dissertation, which 
then can a lot can can like bring you into a trajectory and so it's not always the same project but it can be uh interrelated right bring you into conversations with other folks um one of the things you said was really interesting is how it adapted Hmm. right and so and I'm I'm listening. I'm writing down. I'm furiously writing down notes because, <laughs> like, I I get a lot out of this as as much as as much as everybody else. And it started as okay. Well, there's something about as you said gamification. There's something about enjoying the thing. And the idea is how do we make learning or schooling, quote yeah. unquote, fun. Mm-hmm. And then as I'm hearing you tell this story, is why I love love origin stories is I, I I hear the transition and I was there two years because it was fun. Yeah. Right. And there's this thing where it's like, no, it's always been the case. It's always been this trajectory of the joy and the like learning things and building things and being with friends is a, a, a generative space. Mm-hmm. And that's where knowledge production happens. Right. Totally. Um, but it also needs to be authentic. And that's the thing oftentimes about gamification is it's not authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, and I think, and I think we'll get into this here in a second is I think it's intentionally not, not collaborative or isolating, right? So school is yeah. not collaborative. Well, yeah, that's the idea is because if you let people collaborate, if you let people collaborate, yeah. well, then they start to have ideas. Then they start to have solidarity. Then they start to find commonality. And then we begin to. They rise up. They, 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 right? Exactly. They, exactly. <laughs> so the worst thing we could do is have them collaborate and like yeah, learn right. about each other and work together. That's what we don't want. Right. Said the people in charge. Yeah. Um, and I was actually just thinking about this notion of revisiting. And mm. it's not the same thing as nostalgia because hmm. I'm playing Zelda right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm playing the Let's music. talk about Zelda. Yeah. Right. But I remember, I remember playing Breath of the Wild. Did you play Breath of the Wild? Like, I remember. Oh, playing, I loved it. I have right? I have Breath and of the like, Wild stories. Like yeah. you would go to a place, you're like, I remember from when I was nine, right? Like you would go back and <laughs> yeah. like it would hit you different. It wasn't nostalgia. It was like, oh, my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I it wasn't love like, it. <laughs> um, and so I think it's interesting. But to fall in love with the thing all over again, yeah. you have to then you have to come at it from, and that's the difference between, in my mind, nostalgia and and revisiting mm, yeah. is. Nostalgia is like, oh, remember? Yeah. Whereas revisiting yeah. is like, oh, I'm looking at this like, I'm I'm coming at this new. I'm coming at this with a different perspective, um, and I think that's really really interesting because to revisit those spaces and places um, is an important. We were talking a little bit off air um, or, or pre-recording about yeah. um, you know this 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 idea of um this idea of thinking thinking weirdly thinking differently and in yeah. order to do that you, you have to make the ordinary extraordinary and in order to yeah. do that you have to have a re, you have to have a new vision so with all that said um and for those of you who aren't familiar larping is oh live action role playing so instead of using dice and paper and pencil and and paper maps on a table you're actually dressing up as your character and you're smacking each other with foam swords and things like this so and there are, that, and there are rules and and, and oh, there's yeah. a whole yeah it's not just running around smacking people uh right but it is it's not not that it's also um, not not that yeah <laughs> <laughs> but 
Um, but it's this it's sort of embodied game yeah. embodied gameplay. Um, so take us through um a little bit about you know you taught you went from from LARPing to then um particular you're you're talking about world building. And I think that's yeah. one of the things that's interesting um you know in comics in narratives in in storying um this notion of critical world building so you can can you tell us a little bit about the the project that you were that you were working on because i think it's really really it's not gamifying the classroom it's not gamifying education it's something very distinct and i'd love for you if you could take us just just through that a little bit about about D &D and 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 narrative and story building and uh if you could do that man that that would be a treat yeah that would be great um Thank you for that question. So um, I guess I'll premise this by saying like the way I think about like gamification versus game-based learning is gamification starts with the school and says, how can we kind of slap game gaming onto it? Get them. Um, game-based learning is let's, let's follow the play and follow the game and then ask ourselves what, what are the affordances of learning in this space? And so that's why I don't start with schools. I start with these extracurricular, extra academic spaces. And then I ask myself, what literacy practices are happening here? How is this really complicated, robust composing um, in ways that make me rethink what school is, should be, can be, that type of thing? Um, so the project started off with me just going to the the nonprofit site um, and they did during the school year, they do after school programming and they also do birthday parties and things like that. And then over the summer they do camp um, and the camp follows this narrative that year after year has been developing at the, at the organization. Um, so it's this continuous story that as kids participate starting at like 11, 12, all the way through to their late teens, um, they like participate in this evolving embodied narrative. Of course, um, COVID-19 hit in the middle of my time there. And so they moved all their programming online. So it was less live action role playing and began to look a lot more like traditional kind of tabletop role playing. Um, Around this time, I had noticed that the faculty did a lot of the storyboarding and then allowed the kids and the youth to create their own characters and participate in this overarching narrative. And I was curious, um, what if we kind of let go of the reins and put kids in the center and allowed them to create their own campaigns? What? Um, yeah, right? <laughs> That'll <laughs> right. never work, he said. No. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> And, and just more and more <laughs> decentering the adults and the yeah. you know instructors or educators or mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, so it was a year. The project was a year long world building workshop where we had six youth participants, six kids enrolled, and each participant got six weeks to tell their own campaign. Um, and that was, that was the premise and we would take turns playing in each other's campaigns. And there was some kind of maybe not transmedia, well, some transmedia storytelling, but then interesting linkages between the campaigns that emerged over time, which is 
uh, fun and funny. Um, but that was the project. And so I looked at how each kid created their own world, created their own narrative. And then an interesting thing about role-playing games is there are rules yep. because it's a game. It's a game. Yep. That. So um, how did they structure their world with rules and ways of interacting between the players? Um, so that was the general project. And then I don't know if you're interested in me getting into like, what I looked at in the dissertation or what, you know. Yes, um, <laughs> because that's Some of the, that's the boring. No, 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 no it's boring, not the, but. nope, <laughs> nope, we're, nope. Uh, because here's the thing, it's, um, the idea is, and one of the things I think is so wonderful about the work that you do is that, that it is in, in, in many ways a counter narrative. Um, and by hmm. that, I mean this idea of, well, what, what counts as, for instance, composition, what counts as, as 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 um what counts as narrative right yeah. what counts and and i also we talked about like i taught middle school and high school you've you've also taught middle school and this idea of like well tell the narrative it's like well there's a, you have to tell it a certain way it's like well yeah i mean i guess but this isn't just this isn't just doing the same thing but changing the color of the car it's rethinking mm. how the engine works yeah, and what it does. Absolutely. And so I'm very interested. So the question that I always ask when somebody's talking about like, well, I want to do games or I want to do comics or I want to do, um, you know, folks who have listened to this know I, I do a lot of hip hop work too. Is it's like, okay, well, well, so what? So I'm very interested in like, um, because you talked about um, some of the gender issues that came up. Um, I remember yeah. uh, some of the, some of the things. So yeah, definitely get into that, man. That, uh, that's the, that's the good stuff. <laughs> the, um, I think one of my so what's is that collaborative narrative storytelling and composing looks different than Woo! when you do it solo. Um, and Dr. Antero Garcia talked about different literacy practices that happen in the game, mm -hmm. in the story world, then at the table, like the quote unquote table, whatever that looks like, a Zoom room, a physical table, whatnot. Sure. Um, so what literacy practices are happening between the players, not just their characters? And then this is a kind of where some transmedia um, work comes in. What, where, what is also, what are the literacy practices happening from beyond the table? So what podcasts, rule books, comics, films, are leaking into the space by right. references and fandoms and and that type of thing. So um, my pro so and I think this is important looking at literacy practices in the game at the table and beyond the table because it's it's asking where is the liter where are the literacy practices happening during play? Um, and then one thing that I noticed mm -hmm. or and asked myself as I was watching the youth play together were, um, was there's these weird liminal spaces between those. So those spaces yeah. overlap. They're not discrete. Yes. Um, exactly. And so what, and so one of my papers is looking at liminal plays. So these moments where these places leak into each other um, and what is the purpose and function and affordance of that. So I'll give you, I can give you a quick overview yeah. that um, there are moments when characters talk to players, right? And a character, you know, a, a, per, a, a person playing their character 
addresses the the game master or dungeon master directly is like wait that's really unfair they kind of break that fourth wall yes um and so that this in this liminal space where characters are confronting the dm um what does that serve and how do players as they're creating a story kind of hold each other accountable what do those checks checks and balances look like how does power how is power imbued through this whole process? And so in these liminal moments that might seem like silly behavior or off-task behavior, being like, whoa, that's unfair. It's actually doing like really important critical work. Um, so that was like one of the examples of liminal play that I looked at. Absolutely. And that's I think that's really important for, for folks to hear is these are not like the literate the literacy practices are not discrete, right? Mm -hmm. They're not like, well, you read and then this thing, <laughs> th like you do this and then you do this and then you do this. No, no, no. These are, these are almost co-constitutive. Like they, they, yeah. they, they, they impact each other simultaneously, right? It's so um, messy. It's right? messy. And that's <laughs> the, okay. So, Let's get let's let's get into it here for a second. Talk about the mess. Messy. It is messy, and that is something that collaboration almost requires. Yeah. Because it requires like you have to navigate those spaces, and so like I don't yeah. think that's fair. I don't, which going back to what we were talking about earlier, this notion of um, power and control mm. needs it clean. Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? That's right. Like it needs it. Like all right, you do this, you do this. No, don't talk yeah. to each other. Yeah, right. Whatever you do, don't talk to each other. You just write the paper for me, and then I'll yeah. tell you about it, and then it's fine. Yeah. No fuss, no muss. And that's not that, uh, I believe the kids uh, would say, uh, that, that ain't it. Uh, yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because um, what you're talking about, these these interconnected literacy practices. So a kid's reading a D&D comic, and it necessarily impacts, I mean, sometimes it's explicit, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, I saw that cool thing. Um, and, and we see this in, in places like Critical Role. Um, in, in fact, um, so if those those of you who don't know Critical Role, it's a whole transmedia like organization now. But this idea of like DMs begin to run their campaigns, dungeon dungeon masters or game masters begin to run their campaigns, similar to Matthew Mercer, which Matt, call me up, come on the pod, um, <laughs> yeah, right? But, but but it's not intentional. It's not like, no, I'm gonna, but they're like, that's really cool. I like that. I'm going to bring that yeah. into my own repertoire practice, mm -hmm. right? And you talked about uh, Antero, Dr. Garcia's work, Antero's work. Um, is it the one, is it the, the, is that the one that like people don't like when I play a dwarf? Because there's well, a, that's a, there's I, that a one absolutely comes right. into, yes. <laughs> um, and the ways, like there are game mechanics yeah. that dictate how certain races are supposed right. to be played. Right. And is super precarious and problematic um, right and can we talk about a little bit about some of the we talked about the messiness um and i would love to if and we could talk we could we could talk this out we'll make sure we cite you but you got this beautiful graphic where it's like well here are all the nice people and here are all the gross oh. monsters <laughs> and like, yeah. like oh god what what oops oh no can you talk a little yeah. bit about some of the things like the tensions you discovered when they're world building, because there there are those messy sort of narrative things that can kind of seep in um, that we maybe don't un we maybe unintentionally absorb. So can Absolutely. you talk a little bit about some of those messy tensiony moments? So um, I think about where do games come from, 
first of all. And so Gary Gygax was the creator of Dungeons and Dragons. But Gary Gygax, like this is these are not apolitical spaces or game Ooh. mechanics. They're imbued with ideology. And right, pause it, write values. it down. <laughs> pause it, write it down. These are not apolitical spaces. They're laden, they're they are laden with values. They're laden with ideologies. Absolutely. And then like Dungeons and Dragons goes through iterations. So right now they're in fifth edition and they're moving to one D&D. And so every iteration they try and kind of um, reckon with um, mechanics that folks want change. But more recently, they've been contending with how they frame issues of race and gender. Um, because historically, um, there Dungeons and Dragons has been um, guilty of bioessentialism, meaning that it's a fancy word for saying like um, orcs, who are these big kind of lumbering um, characters, it's a, bit, a big lumbering kind of race of characters, yep. um, have historically been kind of modeled after indigenous, black and indigenous right. peoples. Um, and that's super, and, and carry with it a lot of um, stereotypes that sure. are monstrous and racist. Um, mm -hmm. And so, and similarly, where the bioessentialism comes in is orcs can never be like as intelligent That's right. as other races of characters that you can play. And so you begin to see where not just the narrative is racist, but then the, the whole mechanics of the game system are racist as well. Um, and Dungeons and Dragons is trying to fix this, but a lot of it is just, um, it's kind of surface level. They're yeah. not using the word race Tink anymore. They're using the word species. Tinkering around the edges. Tinkering some, around the edges. In a lot of ways, for sure. And and before, and I welcome your emails, um, but, but this has been a, a problem um, in uh, fantasy literature, if we want to, if we want to say that. Yeah. Like, this is Tolkien. This is fairy yes. tales, right? Yeah. And so it is an ongoing tension. It is an ongoing discussion. Um, and so one of the things we say here um, that I've said, um, go back to and listen to Danny Friedrich, um, we can critique the things we love, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, for, so this idea of that's how we get better. So again, we've gone from race to species, which is not nothing, mm -hmm. but it's, 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 it's insufficient. <laughs> so. and, and what, like, if you take the, um, this race of elves called the drow, uh, that, and that's what we spoke about at ARA yep. this year. Um, they are a matriarchal race of dark skinned elves who live underground and their, their moral alignment is always evil or chaotic evil. And they worship a spider God. Um, they manipulate men. Uh, they, uh, ironically take people as prisoners and as slaves. And so the question is, how do we reckon with and just just like you said yep. um these games that we loved as children and then this is where the nostalgia bit um or the revisiting bit comes back in it's like how do i revisit these things that i kind of uncritically consumed as a child and say hey like kind of we need to restory this or maybe we need to completely create a new world talking about world building um and not just create iterations off of the original, but create an entirely new um, ecosphere. Yeah, you know, and so. and one of the things I think that's interesting, um, and and we 
and and we are professional nerds, which is great. Um, <laughs> but one of the things I think is interesting is is as we think about it generationally, um, yeah, that there are some things that that you know I think it's uh, Bev Beverly Don Tatum talks about these these notions of of, of blind spots. Um, yeah, but um, this notion of um, I'm thinking particularly um, like kids on bikes, for example, and some of those things where. Uh, and, and I'm noticing in some of the gaming um, that they're saying, well, if you're playing this, then think long and hard. Think think very intentionally. Make sure everybody feels safe at the table. Like mm. think about um, – and, and the reason I bring up Kids on Bikes is I was just actually reading through it um, – for a thing yeah. I'm working on, but I, this I notion of let's to read more about let's let's be more intentional um, about is everybody safe? Is everybody comfortable? If something isn't comfortable, here's a way you can navigate it. Um, here are some things that that we can that we can do to to sort of navigate those spaces, not silence them, um, which yeah. I think is really really interesting and really really important. Going because these are very serious things. Because um, and I'm looking, um, uh, we're watching. Uh, my 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 kids and I are watching the old 1980s Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, um, oh. and, and it's it's yeah. and I I I came up as a as a child of uh, of the 80s of the Satanic Panic and Dungeons and Dragons yeah. was a great way to have the the devil come you know get you. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I I I um and I've got in the background um here I've got the the action figures of. The, the main bad guy, which is Venger, and uh, the game master. And he's uh, this little old smart white guy. And then, like, uh, he's gray and yeah. is, like, e all bad looking. And, and I was yeah. like, oh, that's really interesting in terms mm -hmm. of visual rhetorics. And, but yeah. not only interesting, but problematic. There's a tension there. It's like, well, okay. Um, mm -hmm. And it's really interesting if you're a child of the 80s, uh, Frank um, – not Frank Welker um, – I'm gonna forget. Um, but the same the same voice as Venger is the same voice as Optimus Prime. So you close oh. your eyes, you're like, what? So what? <laughs> what are you doing here? Optimus? Right, exactly. <laughs> Optimus Prime. <laughs> right. Oh, but it's interesting um, to 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 think about the ways we have um, we've absorbed. So this is th that's the thing you know about pop culture is you tend to absorb. Um, some of the some of the good, some of the bad, but that doesn't mean that. Well, I didn't mean it. Well, we didn't mean to do it this way. Okay, intent versus impact. This idea of okay, but let's really really look at it. You know, oh, I didn't mean to do this in the story. I understand that's embedded. That's why it's not apolitical. These things these things matter. Mm -hmm. um, and so as we're as we're kind of uh, wrapping things up, we're we're introducing a new uh, or or a segment uh, we're going to call the short box. Um, for those of you not in the know, the short boxes, um, there's the long box, which is a, a big giant collection. The short box is a, cur a, a carefully curated uh, story or run or section. So we're gonna give we're gonna give the floor over, Alex. If there's something uh, that people need to immediately upon finishing up their walk, they're 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 out on their walk and they're listening to the podcast. Um, as soon as they're done here, what do they need to go, do, read, see, uh, think about um, what's on your what's in your short box right now? Yeah. Um, so, Mike, when you and I started right before we jumped on and started uh, recording for the podcast, we were talking about how 
there is just this proliferation of scholarship and conversation, unabashedly embracing, embracing nerd culture uh, and kind of bringing it into more academic spaces and kind of inquiry spaces. So I've been, there have been a lot of new books on play um, and in particular like critical play um, and anti-racist play that have come out. So um, I really like Aaron Trammell and he just came out with two books this year, um, Repairing Play, A Black Phenomenology, which was super influential in my writing of my dissertation. Then he also came out, Aaron Trammell, with another book titled The Privilege of Play, A History of Hobby Games, Race, and Geek Culture. Um, so those are super good. And then Mary, I've been a longtime fan of Mary Flanagan's work. She, is, um, yes. she writes about games. She also develops games. She is just a very impressive human being. Um, but she just came out with a new book in 2023 as well called Playing Oppression, the Legacy of Conquest and Empire in Colonialist uh, Board Games. So I have not read that one yet, but it's on my list. And then, of course, keeping it real and and always bringing everything back to play itself, not just academic commentary on play. Um, I am very interested this summer in reading a a new role-playing game called uh, Coyote and Crow, which is about, it's like an alternate history of what if the United States was not colonized, was not colonized by Europeans. And it's kind of this futurist take on the, on North America um, from kind of an indigenous perspective. Um, so kind of restoring the narrative of the United States. And then I, this was at AERA, um, it, during our discussion, conversations about a, a board game, so not a role-playing game per se, but called Spirit Island uh, came up. And so I'm very interested this summer to talk about Spirit Island, which is another board game, game system that tries to kind of decolonize the way that games are played. So those are a few things I'm reading, yes. interested in playing, etc. <laughs> That's that's fantastic. Um, Dr. Corbett, thank <laughs> you. Wait, okay, let's let's plug your pluggables. Where can people, if people want um, to follow, get at you online, um, provided when this comes out that that um, social media has not absolutely just imploded into imploded. the center of the earth. <laughs> yeah. Where can people find your work? Where can they get at you? Um, what are you up to? Yeah, I think probably the best way is just on Twitter. I don't know right. if that's boring, but just at Alex underscore Corbett, C-O-R-B-I-T-T. Um, and a lot of my dissertation work is not published yet, but I'm I'm working on it. Uh, that's the goal of the summer. So- um, Price is about you. to go up. Get yeah. that rookie card, folks. <laughs> right. um, so that, yeah, that's where uh, we do. And that's where you and I do a lot of our kind of talking and hanging out too. That's right, um, that's right. Oh. And um, if it's not telling tales out of school, and if it is, we'll, we'll cut this part, but you are going to be at SUNY, SUNY Cortland, is that right? Yeah, that's right. I, I just got hired as an assistant professor at SUNY Cortland. That's fantastic. I'm stoked. Dr. Corbett, thank you for joining you, us on, uh, <laughs> on this episode of Comics School. Thank you all out there for, for joining us, for, uh, for sitting in and hanging out. Um, go check out those books. Uh, and, and you heard it here. You heard it here first uh, about Dr. Corbett's work. So uh, thanks, everybody. And we will see you 
next time.